0: Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church with our pastor, Andy Brown. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. Would you please take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Today, we get the God-ordained privilege of looking at verses 33 through 37 as we continue our journey on the Sermon on the Mount. And by this point in our study, you should be seeing, we should all be seeing together, the intricacies of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Look at what we've looked at just as a brief way since we've started. We've looked at the Beatitudes. We've seen those blessed statements, those chains of blessedness all linked together to show us what this new life that God is bringing through His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world. We've seen what our purpose in life is, and that is to be salt and light in the world. We have seen the ministry of Christ as He has come to fulfill the law, not to abolish it, but to fulfill it. We've looked at things like anger, we've looked at things like lust, we've looked at things like divorce, and now today we get to look at the matters of our tongue, we get to look at the way that we say and what it is that we say, and so all of these intricacies of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now we're looking at all the details Of this kingdom. Don't forget this. We're looking at all of these details that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is bringing. These are the details of the kingdom. And as we've already seen, just from our brief study, as Jesus has come into the world, he's blazing a trail in this world. We can already see, just in the first five chapters, midway through the first five chapters of this kingdom, that there is truly. Nothing in this world like the kingdom that this king is bringing. This kingdom, as we can admit, it's so fine and glorious. We really should think that this kingdom is a kingdom that this world really needs. This kingdom is a kingdom that this world desperately needs. But understand this, that we're just not simply looking at a kingdom. As we study Matthew, we're not simply looking at just a kingdom. We're studying a king. Every kingdom has a king. And in this case, we are looking at a king and seeing him in all of his beauty. And this life that we get to study together, this life that we get to proclaim together, this is the life of Jesus. This life, hopefully you know that life, this life is a beautiful life. Listen to what the skeptic says. William Lecky said, It may be truly said, that simple record of three short years of active life has done more to regenerate and soften mankind than all the disquisitions of philosophers and all the exhortations of moralists. This has indeed been the wellspring of whatever is best and purest in the Christian life. Amid all the sins and failings amid all the priestcraft and persecution and fanaticism that has defaced the church, it has preserved in the character and example of its founder an enduring principle of regeneration. There is no one like Jesus. And understand that what we're looking at, we're just not simply looking at this kingdom that he is bringing, never forget that that kingdom that he is bringing has a king that's coming in all of his glory, in all of his beauty. Now when you think of Jesus, even this skeptic named William Lecky, he would agree that Jesus was a man of integrity. When most of the people think about Jesus, they have a good taste in their mouth, they may not like certain aspects of this teaching, or you may have been hurt by this church or this group that said he was a Christian. But when you think about Jesus, most people, I'm just going to say, most people have never brought a charge against Christ of being a disingenuous person. Most people, when they think of Jesus, they think of a man of integrity. And to say the least, the least that we could say about Jesus is that Jesus is a man of integrity. And, listen to this, perhaps the most beautiful aspect of our claim as followers of Him, the most beautiful aspect of Christianity is that we don't just simply get to stare at this life of pure beauty from a distance. We don't get to stand here and say, ah, isn't that lovely, this is Jesus. A beautiful aspect of our confession is that Jesus has come in all of His beauty To make us His very own. Athanasius. You know me, I like to quote dead guys, right? Been dead a long time. Listen to what he said. He has come as we are. To make us as He is. He has come as we are. To make us as He is. In other words, Jesus has come to call you by name. We don't just get to look at some distance and say, hey, this is such a great God. Whoa, this is great. He has come to intimately and personally make you His very own. To take what is His and form all of that in you and me. And maybe today some of you will hear His voice. The voice of beauty. The voice of purity. Calling your name today. I want you to think about that word integrity for just a minute. Because it's very important as we look at our text today. That word integrity is so important. You know what the Oxford English Dictionary defines integrity? It has a couple of words beside integrity. Those two words are wholeness and completeness. Wholeness and completeness. A life of integrity is a life that is above scrutiny. A life of integrity is a life that is not afraid of anything being found out, mainly because there's nothing to be found out. Now, let's think about that for just a minute. How many people do you know like this? How many people do you know in your life that you can say that that man, that woman, is a person of integrity? If others were to describe you, Would they describe you as a man or a woman of integrity? Jesus has come into a world that's full of duplicity. Jesus has come into a world full of deceit so that he could make men and women of integrity. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 33. Again, you've heard that it was said of those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Would you pray with me today? Our Father, thank you for this moment. You are calling us to take seriously what we say. Help us to discern it clear. Teach our hearts obedience and give us this morning and this moment a heart desperate for you. And may we find the answer to our desperation in the full satisfaction that Jesus offers. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now let's think about this for just a minute. Some may say, of everything that Jesus could talk about, why on earth does Jesus care about what we say? of everything that could be mentioned on the Sermon on the Mount. Why? And Maybe you could add a few things that you think should have been in there, but why on earth does Jesus care about what we say? The reason that Jesus cares what we say, mark this down, is found in Matthew chapter 12. He's going to say it later. And I love this. I hope you're seeing this just with the issue of divorce, remarriage and Christian marriage and all of that. He's going to say all of these things again later. And by the way, listen, when you're reading the Bible and... God thinks it wise to repeat himself, we better listen twice. So, Jesus is going to say this again, but the reason why Jesus cares about what we say is because of Matthew chapter 12 and verse 34. Jesus says this, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Don't miss that. We've said that, we know that, we've heard that so many times that we've memorized that certain passage, but out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So can you see then this link between integrity and, and what it is that we say? The way that we live and how we say what we say. And so this morning I want to give you three truths this morning from this text, from Matthew five, thirty three through thirty seven. Three truths this morning from this text. And hopefully we'll learn that what we say is serious. And hopefully we'll learn that our Lord is calling us to let our yes be yes and our no be no. Number one this morning, write this down. Nothing reveals your heart like what you say. The quickest way for us to show others our heart is just by us to just simply open our mouths. That's the quickest way for others to see what's inside of us. Just open your mouth. Just say, ah. And everyone around you will quickly get a feel for what kind of person they are around. Open your mouth and people will quickly get an idea of who it is that they're dealing with. And let me just say that in the world that we live in today, that is the blogging, tweeting, status-quoting, status-updating world, this is such a good word for us today. God cares about what we say. Listen to what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 10. Just going to walk through a few of them with you. They'll be up there. You can write them down. Proverbs 10 11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Proverbs 10 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent wise. We could preach a sermon right there all day, right? That's such a good one to write down. I remember in my life when I read through the first, by the way, let me say this, the first time that I ever read the Bible all the way through, I started because a preacher gave a challenge to us. He said, if you read five psalms in one proverb a day, you'll be done with those two books in a month. Well, I did that. And then I said, well, I've already read two books. I might as well read the rest of the, the Bible, so let's just go ahead and go from there. But I remember the first time I read the Bible, I was so challenged in my heart to be a man of integrity based upon what it is that comes out of my mouth. This is why we read what we read. Ms. Francis did a wonderful job reading this morning. Let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Let's have another. Proverbs chapter 10. We could search the whole Proverbs, but this is just chapter 10. Proverbs 10, 31 and 32. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked, what is perverse. Now think about this. What springs forth from the fountain of your lips? Remember, it doesn't just start in your lips, out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. So what is it that springs forth from the fountain of your lips? Is it lies or is it truthfulness? Are you a man of integrity? Are you a woman of integrity? Remember where we are. Don't forget this. And I'm not talking about church. Nobody wants to lie. I'm not talking about that. Remember where we are in the Bible. We are at the Sermon on the Mount. We are climbing the highest summit in the world. You thought it was Mount Everest. Well, that's before the Sermon on the Mount. This is the highest summit in all the world. The Sermon on the Mount. And automatically, as we're reading this, we are nowhere near the top. And already, some of us have already been tripped up several times as we felt the, the convicting hand of our Lord crushing us. And here we have this other word. We've not even reached the top yet, and we have our God coming to us and telling us that He cares about what we say because what we say reveals what's in our hearts. Jesus has come for a purpose and a reason. And the reason that He's come is to deal directly with our hearts. He has come to display for us as we read Matthew 5. He's come to display for us this new heart that that He's going to give us. As Jeremiah says, take this heart of stone out and instead give us a heart of flesh ready to obey Him. He's going to perform surgery on our hearts and give us a new heart. He's going to circumcise our hearts in the language of the Bible so that we have a heart that is ready to obey Him. So Jesus has come to deal directly with our hearts, to display for us this new heart that He will accomplish for us. And the way that He's going to give us this new heart, don't miss this, is by giving His own life, by shedding His own blood on the cruel cross for us. And part of that new heart is a heart that instead of producing and bubbling up lies and deceit, is a heart that says, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart Be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We can stop right there. Is that what's in your heart? Do you wake up every morning and with every moment, is your heart constrained to this? Are you feeling the pull of our Lord, calling you by name and saying, let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, be pleasing to God? Nothing reveals what's in your heart like what you say. But we get more specific this morning. Look at what Jesus says next. He's come to deal with our hearts. He says, you've heard that it was said, but I say, He says this to show us that this is the new humanity that He is forming. And now look at what He says. You've heard that it was said, but I say, but then look at what He says in verse 34. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all Either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by earth, for it is His footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. Now, what does Jesus want us to learn from that? What on earth does Jesus want us to learn? I think number two this morning, He wants us to learn that every place is a place of worship. Now, this is where it gets really good. This is where it gets real specific in the message. This is where Jesus is beginning to hammer his point home for us to think through. Because you know what he's directly going against? He's rubbing against the tendency in our hearts. We have a tendency in our heart to compartmentalize our lives. To get things neat and tidy and in order and just compartmentalize and order our lives. In other words, we want to be Christians Only in certain moments, maybe when other people are around us or maybe when we are around other Christians or maybe when someone is watching or Christians on Sunday only. Jesus, he comes and he takes that perspective. He takes that tendency that our hearts are so prone to wander into compartmentalization. He takes that and he completely takes that perspective and he blows it out of the water, sinks it. And how does he do this? He doesn't just say it. Don't miss this. Don't ever forget that we proclaim Christ. Not just what Christ says. That's important. We're proclaiming Christ. And so how does God come and blow that perspective of compartmentalization out of the water? How does He do that? He doesn't just say it. And that would have been enough. But remember who it is that's saying what He's saying. Who is this saying what He's saying? This is Jesus. You say, great, Pastor Jesus. Thank you very much. But who is Jesus? This is the eternal Son of God who has chosen to take on flesh. What does that mean? Listen closely. It means that without ceasing to be what He has always been, He forever became someone that He was not. He has become everything that it means to be fully human without ceasing to be fully human. God. In other words, he has united himself to us so that he can unite us to himself. Jesus didn't compartmentalize and say, I'm going to be this just a little bit human and just a little bit God. No, he's all God and he's all man. He didn't compartmentalize with us. One person, Two natures, fully God, fully man, united in our one Lord Jesus Christ. He is fully human. He didn't compartmentalize his life. And so there's no compartmentalizing with our life, mainly because he's God. David knew this as he prayed Psalm 139. Listen to what he said. He's praying and he says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence spirit? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, that's the grave, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the othermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. You see what David's saying? There is nowhere that I can go to escape the presence of God. Nowhere that I can go. This is no compartmentalization. This is no divvying out the portions of our life and saying, God, you can have this much and I'm going to take this much. No, that's not what it means to be a worshiper. You remember the conversation that Jesus had with a woman at the well, the woman of Samaria? You remember that conversation? Here Jesus is coming up. He's thirsty. Here this woman is, she says, how dare you talk to me? I'm, first off, I'm a woman. Second, I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. You, you, you do know what's happening here, right? And of course Jesus did. But do you remember that conversation? She had a question for Jesus. Which is the right mountain to worship on? Do you remember that? Is it Gerizim in Samaria or is it Jerusalem? Is it Zion? And right away, you remember what Jesus said to her? He said, you're asking the wrong question. Let's read the text. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here. Listen to this. The hour is coming and is now here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such a people to worship you. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming. That's He who is called the Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all these things. And Jesus looks at her and says, I who speak to you am What's Jesus saying? What's He saying? He's saying, finally, the long-anticipated time when the way that you come to God is not with your best dress, not with your morality on your sleeve, thinking that you can accomplish your own salvation. He said, the way that you come to worship God is by spirit and in truth, and that hour has come upon us. No one could do it before until Jesus said, everyone had been Looking for it and longing for it. But now that Jesus is here, old Simeon looked at the baby Jesus and he said, My eyes have behold the salvation of the Lord. Salvation is now here. You see, the problem was is that the people of Jesus' day, just as this woman in Samaria, she shows us this attitude. They were very religious, very religious people. So much so that they're, listen, this, and this can happen. Jesus is not against religion, but religion can get in the way of understanding the relationship that God's called us into. And so, unfortunately, what they had done is they had made the temple an idol. Now think about this. This is the tendency that we have in our lives to compartmentalize things because we think that we get an understanding of it. And I love the way that we talk. It's sort of like, you know, uh, the fact that we can explain how a baby gets here, for example. We think that we can explain that. We think because we can explain that, oh, it makes it less miraculous. It's nowhere less miraculous just because we can explain it. So here we have this idea of Jesus taking what we know and showing us that what we know is maybe not everything there is to know. So, listen, the people of Jesus' day were very religious. They'd made the temple into an idol. And what was the temple? The temple was a place that represented the very presence of God. It should have been the place where everyone was longing for, and it it was, but they were longing instead of for the presence of God, they were longing for the temple. They'd forgotten what the Bible said in Isaiah 66. Thus saith the Lord, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? What's the place of my rest All these things my hand have made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. And then here comes Jesus saying what he says here to encourage us to seek after truth. To encourage us to to know Him, He comes and He he shows us to not compartmentalize our lives, but to really understand that we must worship Him in a certain way, in a total way. And then Jesus is coming on the scene in a world that's full of religious people, in a world that they have missed Jesus because of their religiosity. Here He comes and He says to these people who've made an idol of the temple, He says, tear this temple down and in three days I'll raise it up. Could you imagine? Tear down the temple? No, no, no. You're going to tear down the presence of God? Now, that's not what Jesus is saying. Tear down this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. And now we have the commentator to tell us, one of the gospel writers, he tells us that he was referring to his own body. Now, you know what this means? Don't miss this. Jesus says, tear down this temple and then I'll raise it up. You know what that means? Here's what it means. It means that the place of worship begins in our hearts. That God is too large to be contained by human hands. It often happens that we want to so take our lives and say this portion I'm going to give to Jesus and this X I'm going to give to... It's just like the way when we tithe, we say, okay, I'm going to give 10% to God. No, no, we've got it backwards. God gives us 100%. We give Him 10 Do you see that? It's a different way of mode of thinking, but it's, it's a heart that's filled full of worship and it matters. And this often happens to me. When I reveal that I'm a preacher the conversation shifts I've had to change barbers because the last person that I was going to the more I talked the more they cut and it just you know scalped me by the time it was over with but it was it'd be a conversation shift and I, I oftentimes like to share my faith whenever I can whenever I have a conversation I, I do my diligence to to try to tactfully turn it to to God and Christ without you know being awkward or anything but when I Reveal that I'm a preacher. The conversation shifts. Sometimes people are more open. Sometimes people close up. <laughs> but the conversation shifts. And we had a large event here at the church recently. And, and I was waiting down these stairs here, waiting to come up the stairs. And there was a group that was coming down the stairs. And as they saw me, the leader in the group, the guy who was in the front of the group, he, he said, almost in a hushed voice, he said, Shh, there's the preacher. I love that. I know the spirit that's behind that kind of attitude, but listen, that kind of attitude misses the point of what Jesus is saying. Jesus is challenging us. He's saying, don't compartmentalize your life. He's saying, your life can't divide off in sections. You can't Divide your life off into sections and say that this piece of my life is secular and then this piece of my life is going to be sacred. This one is God's, but this one I think I'm going to keep for myself. So what does Jesus say? He says, don't swear. Be a man of integrity. Be a woman of integrity. This is what He means. He says, Be a man or a woman who is in such hot pursuit of integrity that you really don't need the support of an oath to hold up what it is that you're saying. Swearing is unnecessary for a man or a woman of integrity. Here's the reason it is. Because if they say anything, then they must mean it. Otherwise, they wouldn't say it. Which leads us to our third point this morning. If nothing reveals your heart like what you say. And every place is a place of worship. Number three, simply this morning, worship in every place. Jesus is calling us to worship in every place. You know why He says what He says about oaths? Because He wants all of you. He wants all of you to be His everywhere. Everywhere. Look what He says. He says, Do not take an oath by your head, for you can't even make it white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Yes or no. And he says this, anything more than this comes from evil. You know why we have every reason to be men and women of integrity? We have every reason to be men and women of integrity because of really just one reason. God is true. God is true. Jesus is a man who's yes and yes, and no is no. I don't know about you, but I'm very glad that that's true. Jesus is not going to come up and say, oh man, I'm just kidding, I didn't mean that. No, you're not really saved. You're lost. He's not going to say that. He's a man whose yes is yes, and no is no. Could you just imagine that he was dishonest with the man that was born blind, that he told to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Could you just imagine that? He had already spit. He would already made mud. And he would already taken that mixture of spit and mud and put it in the man's eyes. And he said, hey man, just go wash and you'll be better. Could you just imagine if Jesus wasn't serious? Here this guy is, he's blind. He's got to find the pool of Siloam or have somebody take him. He's walking around town. He can't even see himself. He's got spit and mud in his eyes. And what if he would have got down to the pool, washed his eyes, and what? But Jesus... And that's not what happened, is it? Thankfully, the Bible says that he came back seeing. What if Jesus said that he was going to rise from the dead, but he didn't? What if Jesus had never come? This promised Messiah that the world had been longing and looking for. What if He'd never come? What if Jesus said to you, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But He didn't really mean it. You see, God knew the world of uncertainty that we lived in. And so He swore to Abraham that He would send salvation. You say, wait a minute, God swore? Sure He did. You know the reason that He swore? Remember, it's, it's, it's the spirit of the law, not the letter. Why did God swear? He did it to assure us. He swore to leave us in a world filled with uncertainty. He swore to give us certainty that He would do exactly what He said He would do. This is a beautiful text and I want to read it for you. The whole thing is going to be up on the screen here. Listen to what the Bible says in Hebrews 6, 13-20. God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and multiply you. And thus, Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Don't miss that. He obtained the promise. Why did he obtain the promise? Because God said it. And you already know this. But if God says it, that settles it. Regardless of if you believe it or not, He says it. Continue on in the text. It says, for people swear by something greater than themselves. And in all their disputes, which is the reason for swearing, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of His purpose, He guarded it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of The soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Did you hear that? The truthfulness of God. The fact that God is true. That is an anchor for our soul. If you trust Jesus, God has said an eternal yes for your soul. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no never, no never forsake. The world may crumble about us and we're watching it happen about us. There's one thing that's sure. Thus, Seth, the Lord. And this is why all of this matters. Because of who He is, because He is forming us into His likeness. This is why what we say matters. Because, listen carefully to me, we have to be careful what we say because what we say reveals who we are. We have to be careful what we say because what we say reveals whose we are. We have to be careful where we hang our heart. Because Jesus has come to give us a new heart. Jesus has come to give us this kind of heart that says, let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. He's come to give us a heart that is ready to take every thought captive and place it under the obedience of Christ. If who He is wasn't who He was, We could say anything that we wanted. God wouldn't care about what we say, but because of who He is, it matters. This past week, all of us, I imagine, we were all together. Our entire nation was captivated by a hearing that some were calling one of the most significant hearings in the history of the United States. You know what happened. The former director of the FBI, James Comey, gave testimony under oath. Under oath. Calling into question the integrity of the man in the highest office. The President of the United States. I was sitting there, had the privilege of watching some of it with my dad. Listening to these senators ask Mr. Comey what seemed like the same question. Time and time again. And then you heard Mr. Comey just repeating himself over and over again. And both my dad and I were sitting there talking. From our conversation, you could see that we both had a longing in our hearts for a world where a yes was a yes and a no was a no. Now let me ask you this morning. Are you longing for that world? Are you longing for a world full of men and women of integrity? I love the picture in Revelation. The gates in Revelation, they tell us, no unclean thing will ever enter there. This is the kingdom that our God's bringing. This is His kingdom come. This is what we are praying for. I'm longing for that world. And listen carefully, because Jesus has come. Because the sinless Savior died. His sinless life. His shed blood on the cross has counted your soul that was sick by sin free if you trust in Him. He is bringing this world. The dawn of that day is rising with Jesus. He has given us, because of who He is, a longing in our hearts for more. I just want to encourage you to make that your confession today. To long for more. To take every thought captive and place it under the obedience of Christ. To say, let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Call upon Jesus. Turn from deceit. Surrender. To Him. Some of you are living a lie. You think that you can accomplish your salvation based upon what you've done or who you know. And Jesus says, No, the only way that you can live a life of salvation is to come wholly to Me and give yourself wholly to Me. Completely trust in me, not your own righteousness. Some of us are so guilty of compartmentalizing our lives and saying, I'm going to give this portion to God, but I'm not going to live this way. I'm going to think about missions as something that missionaries do or or preaching as something that preachers do. And though there are missionaries and preachers, we compartmentalize our lives to death to where we end up giving God just this much when God's the reason for your life. All of it. Confess your longing today by making up your mind with the Holy Spirit of God. You're going to be a man or woman of integrity. You're going to let your yes be yes. And your no be no. Would you pray today with me? Father, we love you and we thank you. Thank you that you've come to take every part of our lives and make it yours. God, give us grace to be all that you have enabled us to be. Thank you for Jesus. And in a world filled full of duplicity, in a world filled full of deceit, there is this amazing life, Jesus, shining the light of the world who has called us to be lights in the world. Help us, our God, to let our yes be yes and our no be no. Father, for anyone who's out there today that doesn't know you, May this be the moment of their salvation. May they take hold of the eternal yes that you've said in Jesus. That the soul that rests in Jesus will have an eternal yes from God, a yes of salvation. And may today, may not harden their hearts, may today they turn their hearts to Jesus. As they start living out this purpose of all that you've called us to be. Give them the strength, Lord God, to make whatever decision they make public. Help us to be men and women that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen. We pray God will use this message for his glory in your life. If you would like more information, please feel free to contact us at info at oxfordbaptistchurch.com. Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.